welcome to a series of special podcasts from the Hoover Institution's Working Group on Foreign Policy and Grand Strategy. Our topic today, Failed States. Our guest, Stephen D. Krasner, Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, the Graham H. Stewart Chair in International Relations at Stanford, and Chairman of the Hoover Working Group on Grand Strategy and Foreign Policy. Steve, thanks for being with us. Happy to be with you. Now, you open your piece in this series by saying there are two big challenges for American foreign policy going forward, China and failed states. And the contrast between the two, in your view, is that everyone agrees that we have to do something about China, even if it's not clear what exactly that is. But with failed states, there's no such clarity. Uh, Why is that? Because I think there are, uh, there are really two reasons that failed states pose a really difficult problem. One is there's a lot of disagreement on whether or not there's really a problem for us at all, or more specifically, whether failed states pose a security threat to the United States. Second, um, even if you think they pose a security threat to the United States, there's a question of what you should do about it. So both because of differences about the assessment of the threat and, and uncertainty about policy options, I think that failed states pose a really difficult problem for American policymakers. And one of the issues, of course, that always comes up with failed states is questions of of terrorism. And and you talk about a couple of different schools of thought regarding the terrorist threat from failed states. And you describe on the one hand what you call a a minimalist approach that says, you know, 9-11, more exception than the rule. Most of the other attacks we've seen are – a few individuals operating at a substantially lower level of operational sophistication if it's the you know the Boston Marathon bombing or the shootings in Paris. But then you talk about the contending view, which is that, well, that may be the case, but all you need is one of these groups gaining control of a weapon of mass destruction, setting it off in an American city, and we're off to the races. And you lay out in your piece a really chilling litany of ways that the world would change if that happened. Describe that for our audience. Yeah, so I am much more an advocate of this second position. Um, It's not hard to imagine ways in which a transnational terrorist group could get a hold of a nuclear weapon from Pakistan or Iran, perhaps at some later point. Um, There were a very revealing set of articles in the newspaper over the last few days about an effort to break in to the storage facility in South Africa where they keep their plutonium. Uh, something that the South Africans have denied, but it's pretty evident to uh, Americans, at least from the reporting, that whoever tried to break in was trying to get this nuclear material. You can imagine that if a nuclear weapon went off in a major city, any place in the world, or even if there was a biological attack which killed several thousands of people, and I think the critical thing to recognize here is that this is a level of destruction which is like a war, not like a crime. If this would happen, our conventional notions of how the world works would really go out the window. Notions about um, respecting uh, sovereign prerogatives, about international policing, about indefinite detention, all of these things would be fundamentally changed if there was a mass casualty transnational terrorist attack. And that is a future which we should do everything that we reasonably can to avoid. Do you have a sense with that scenario? And I, I realize this may be an unanswerable question. Do we have a sense right now? Is that is that kind of scenario becoming more likely or less? Or are we being serious in our attempts to prevent that kind of thing from occurring? I think this is 
part of the core of the difficulty. This kind of scenario is really a black swan. Right. Uh, an event which is small probability, very low probability. We don't really know what the probability distribution looks like and very consequential. So I think what you have to say is such an event could take place. We can't be sure that it actually will take place, but it could take place. And therefore, we have to think about prudent measures that we might be able to implement um, to uh, limit, to the extent we can, the likelihood that this would happen, recognizing that we don't really know what that likelihood is. I mean, saying it's you know one in a million or 10 million, these are meaningless estimates. We have to say it's a possibility. We have to do what we can to minimize that possibility. What are some of those prudent measures? What would you recommend? Well, there are a whole series of things, I mean, that we should should do on the intelligence side, on the policing side. I think personally it's very disheartening that we haven't developed a legal framework for indefinite detention, something that I think that we obviously need. But on the failed state side, I think what we need to do is to realize that our ability to transform very badly governed places like Afghanistan or Iraq are limited. We're not going to turn these countries into the United States or Denmark or put them on the road to being the United States or Denmark in any confident way. But there are things that we can do. We can enhance the security situation in in those countries. Um, We can improve economic growth to some modest extent, provided that it doesn't threaten the ruling class. Um, We might be able to do something to control some kinds of corruption, but we can't eliminate all kinds of corruption. So there are measures that we can take in states that make those states somewhat more stable and especially that make them somewhat more capable of policing their own territory. Um, But there's nothing that we can do to really transform these states in a fundamental way in the short or medium term. You use in your piece to this point the phrase good enough governments. Uh, Let me quote from the piece here. Quote, good enough governance means ensuring that a state is capable of keeping order within its own boundaries, at least enough order to contain transnational terrorists. The provision of this order, the provision of this order may sometimes be arbitrary and brutal, end quote. So let's tease this out a little bit. Under this approach, is it fair to say that the standard is, look, of of course, we we don't want you to be illiberal, but at the end of the day, American national security comes first. Conditions within your country are a distant second. And rather than engaging what could be a decades-long process to try and turn your country into a decent place, we're choosing our national security today. Is that a fair way to characterize that argument? I I think that's actually too harsh. I mean what I would say is that we should be focused on our own national security first. Um, We shouldn't be indifferent to conditions in these countries. The problem is – We can't make conditions in these countries fundamentally better no matter what we do. We invested a lot of resources, men, money, lives in Afghanistan and Iraq, um, without in the short term a a very good end here. So I think what we should say is that improving security in these countries, even if the security is arbitrary, um, will leave people better off than they would be in a situation which is chaotic or anarchic. So that by improving security in Fail states. We're making th- we are making things better for people that are living in those states, and we're at least creating the necessary conditions for greater improvements on the economic side or the health side or in education. And we're also improving our own security. So I don't think there's a trade-off here. Um, if it were the case that 
it was really a trade-off between kind of cr- putting people on a some kind of secure path to consolidated democracy on the one hand, and that that might threaten American national security in the short or medium term. On the other, there would be a trade-off. But I do not think any such trade-off exists because I, don't, I do not think there's any way that we can confidently know what that path to consolidated democracy actually looks like. Stephen, with groups like um, Boko Haram and ISIS out there, how would you grade thus far the Obama administration on their response to the threat of radicalism coming out of failed states? Uh-huh. So I think, first of all, the thing to be said is, I mean, they, I think the president's basic stance here is, you know, that he just doesn't want to be involved. That's his basic instinct. So we do not have anything that looks like an effective strategy for dealing with these places. Um, I think that one thing that the Obama administration has done that I'm very sympathetic to is saying that the weight of the fighting has to fall on local actors. Um, I think where we have failed is not trying um, effectively to identify groups within countries that we might be able to effectively ally ourselves with. We were too cautious initially in Syria uh, in failing to support decisively the Free Syrian Army or elements within the the Free Syrian Army in Syria. I know that this is difficult, so I don't want to say that this is an easy problem because one of the core problems is if there were good, really clearly good guys out there that we could support, we would do it. The problem is often it's hard to figure out who these good guys are. But I don't think the administration has identified a strategy which would say we're going to try to identify the best possible actors that we can in these problematic situations. And we will have to commit ourselves to giving those actors some substantial amount of support. I think if you look at the Boko Haram situation in Nigeria, it's a shocking, I I have to say, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in the area of northern Nigeria, which is on the southern fringes now of where Boko Haram is operating. So I do have some feel for this area. It is shocking that the Nigerian army, which has participated in a number of different peacekeeping activities, has not been able to deal effectively with this group. And here I would say, I mean, the solution has to be initially um, some effective or more effective action by the Nigerian military and and possibly militaries from Chad and Niger and and, and the Camerons, other neighboring states, uh, rather than the United States. During President Obama's first term especially, this seems to have diminished a little since the ISIS threat has materialized. But there was this sensibility in the air, and you heard it discussed a lot in the media that you know Americans were just war weary. We were done. We didn't want anything to do with Iraq anymore. We didn't want anything to do with Afghanistan anymore. Um, to what extent now are you concerned that we, because of that disposition, we may not have the will, we may not have the stomach to go in and and do things proactively if if we can't see the threat immediately in front of us? And that consequently, there, there may be bigger problems down the road. Is, is that a legitimate concern? It's a concern, but I, I don't think it's as, as stark um, as a scenario that you laid out. I mean, one of my colleagues at Duke, Peter Fever, has done some academic work on this. And the, the finding is that Americans will support military intervention if they understand what the military intervention is for. So I think the challenge for the United States is to identify a coherent strategy. You know, not to keep saying, as you know, 
both the Obama administration and the Bush administration have said that we're tra- trying to you know, put these countries on a path to consolidated democracy, but to say what we want is a situation, is, is a policy that will improve the security situation in those countries because it will make things better for their, the populations, the people that are living there, and it will make us more secure. And I think if we can develop a coherent strategy, uh, the American people would be willing to support that strategy. The problem is without a strategy, uh, popular support will erode because these are, are really hard problems and it is really difficult to make progress. And you have to be realistic about the kind of progress that you can possibly make. So final question here, the future. Given where the American people are, given what the next president is going to inherit, uh, how do you suspect this is going to play out? If you had to guess five years from now, what what is the American posture going to look like towards these kind of threats from failed states? I think the what I would say worries me most is this. It, it's you know very possible that over the next five years we're not going to have a significant terrorist attack. Um, nobody really will have the stomach and the political leadership um, uh, to investing resources in these places. And we'll, we'll make that black swan you know, somewhat more likely, even though it's very unlikely. And if the black swan occurs, then we're really in deep trouble. I think it would be much more effective if we did develop an overall strategy. And I think the, if I can say, I think the soundbite for the overall strategy should be responsible sovereignty. We want states that exercise responsible sovereignty. Responsible sovereignty means maintaining order, having some basic commitment to physical integrity, human rights, having conditions that would allow some economic growth. And we'll support regimes or groups that are willing to commit themselves to doing that. All right. My guest has been Stephen D. Krasner, Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, the Graham H. Stewart Chair in International Relations at Stanford, and Chairman of the Hoover Working Group on Grand Strategy and Foreign Policy. Professor Krasner, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Great talking with you. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.